here in Genesis chapter 17 as we look at this everlasting covenant that God establishes with Abraham and with you if you belong to Christ Jesus. So hear now God's word from Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I walk before me and be blessed everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant offspring after you every male among you shall be do all this even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher for it is in jesus name that we pray amen as we study the life of abraham we have seen god appear to him and speak to him several times and when we study the, char- the, uh, the life of a biblical character like this, we can get the idea, well, gosh, God just showed up to Abraham all the time. He never shows up to me. I don't feel like he ever speaks to me like this. I mean, Abraham just got to see him all the time. Well, notice verse 1 of the text. When Abram was 99 years old. And if you look at the verse right before that, the end of chapter 16 that we looked at last week, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. It's been 13 years gap from the last verse we looked at to today. 13 years has gone by. And if you remember Genesis 16, God didn't even talk to Abraham in that chapter, right? God spoke to Hagar. It's been Genesis 15. After he began to follow God, what did his faith look like from 75 to 86 and from 86 to 99? In the day-to-day grind of life. Even a patriarch like Abraham that got to see these miraculous, spectacular things would speak into your spirit that he would lead and guide and direct you, but know that even for the heroes of the faith, that much of God says to Abraham, who's 99 at this point, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Let's talk about what God is saying there when he says, walk before me and be blameless. This phrase, walk before me, is typically used of a king or a dignitary and something done before that king or dignitary with their notice is to live in the dignitary. And if you think about it, If you live and move openly and do things before the king, then the only way you're able to do that is because you enjoy his acceptance and his favor. So God is saying to Abram, I want you to realize that you're before me at all times, that I am your king, that you live and move and all that you do is in my sight, And that you do it and you're allowed to do it because you enjoy my approval and my favor. And then he says, walk before me and be blameless. That's a hard concept for us. The Hebrew word to mean there does not mean sinlessness. Doesn't mean perfection. Well, what does it mean? It means to be complete. It means to be whole. 
It means all of you, that you're all in, entirely all of you, that you are sound. And sometimes it's or devotion to God because we're always in his presence. And as we live our lives, we're, we're solid, we're faithful, we're devoted to our king, we're all in on God. God is saying here, I want you to be solid, to be faithful, to be all in in this relationship. Now, some commentators have interpreted this phrase, and yours may actually be translated this way. Some would translate it, walk before me in order that you may be blameless. And that makes sense. The only way we can be solid and faithful and all in is by placing ourselves under the exclusive supervision and guidance and protection of our king. So God's calling Abram to be entirely. Verse 4, verses 4 through 8, God tells what he will do in this everlasting covenant. And remember, if you're in Christ, then you're a part of this covenant. And so God is telling here what he will do in this covenant. And in verses 4 through 6, we finally get Abram's name changed, right? We've been saying Abram and Abraham interchangeably, uh, but it gets changed to Abraham now. And, and, and basically, let's talk about that for a minute. Abram is a name that means exalted father. And his name is changed to Abraham, which means father of many or father of multitudes. Now, let's, we haven't talked about Abram's name, so let's talk about that for a minute. It's kind of an unfortunate name, I would think. If you think about Abram's background, for 86 years, his name was exalted father. So if he introduced his people to himself, he would say, well, my name is Exalted Father. And they'd be like, oh, man, that's great. How many kids do you have? <laughs> and for 86 years, the answer was none. That's kind of hard. Hey, I'm Exalted Father. How many kids do you have? None. I'm sure he heard the jokes all the time. Now I can't help but imagine the announcement that Abraham makes to the household, right? He's 99 years old, and he says, listen, I'm changing my name. And everybody's like, it's about time. <laughs> the other one didn't really fit anyway. This is a good idea. You probably should. His branding folks have probably been telling him he needed to do that for a long time, and he hadn't been listening. They're like, finally, he's going to change his name. You know, he's got one kid now, Ishmael, so maybe he's going to go with like Ace or Uno to mean one or something like that. And Abraham says, well, uh, my new name is father of multitudes. <laughs> it's like, really? Well, yeah, God told me to name my, oh, God told you to name yourself father of multitudes. God didn't have kids for 86 years. He finally has one kid, and now at 99, he thinks he's going to be the father of multitudes. Almost seems unfair or unkind that God would change his name to Father of Many. But listen, that, that's the point, isn't it? Sometimes the promises of God sound crazy, even to people who are believers. And little old me, 
in Genesis 17, we see here that God does amazing things with very little. So I say, let's stick with him and see what happens. What kinds of things does he like to do? Well, in Genesis 12, God had said he was going to make Abram into a great nation. And the children of Israel who are receiving this, the original audience, can look around and see that they've grown into a great nation. But now... God is saying, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, and kings will come from you. It's a promise he makes to Abraham and has kept. As the gospel has gone to the nations, and those who belong to Christ are Abram's descendants, and so there are billions of people from many nations who are descendants of Abram. What else does God promise? In verse 8, you might be interested in this one because the offspring gets involved now, right? In verse 8, he says, And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. We don't tend to talk about the land too much. It's not talked about much in the New Testament. You know, the Romans are occupying the promised land at that time. But that theme of land is there in the New Testament. Think about it with me. Think about Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is describing those who are in his kingdom, those who belong to him. So he's describing descendants of Abraham, his offspring. And in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? The earth, the land, all of it. The land promise expands. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells his followers, they say, hey, how do we pray? And he says, this is how you pray. When you pray, pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The focus becomes not just a sliver of land that is on the Mediterranean, but the whole earth. And the problem. Habakkuk tells us in Habakkuk 2 and verse 14 that the day is coming when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that great commission in Matthew 28 shows us that God uses his people to accomplish that promise. That's crazy. your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Wow. You need to understand that the very beginning we were created for relationship with God. The deepest longings of your heart will only be ultimately satisfied in relationship with God. But there was a fall, and we have rebelled against God, and because of our sin, we've been separated from God. And God has been working to bring us back ever since. We see it here as he calls one man, Abram, to himself, and then promises to bless the whole world through him, through his offspring. It's a promise that 
These folks coming out of Egypt have heard. You can read in Exodus chapter 6 when God tells Moses, here's what you say to the people. He says, tell them, I'm going to free you. I'm going to redeem you. And I will be your God and you will be my people. God has to accomplish that. When we get to the New Testament, I think of John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. That God, through the work of Christ, is creating a way for Abraham and his offspring to be in relationship with him. And at the very end of all things, when God again makes all things new, Revelation 21, the Apostle John has that great vision At the end of all things, did I mention it was an everlasting covenant? It keeps going. Revelation 21 and verse 3, God says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be... Shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Oh, that's our hope for the ages, that God would be our God, and that we would be his people, and God will keep that promise, and if you belong to Christ Jesus, then that promise is that God will physically raise us from the dead and come back to this earth and make all things new and live with us here, as he did in the very beginning, with he is our God. And from us, as his offspring. What is it that God expects of us? Look at verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout the generations. Now some people get here and say, oh goodness. So the covenant is contingent on our response, right? That we've got to perform our part under this contract or this, this covenant. And God will do his part if we do our part. That's not exactly how this works. Look back at verses 4 through 8. God will keep his promises regardless of what you and I do. Verses 4 through 8 tell us what God will do. You see it there four times. He says, I will make Abraham exceedingly fruitful, and he has. I will make you into many nations, and kings will come from you, and they have. Blameless means he's being solid, being faithful. Means living all of life from being all in, devoted to him as our king in this relationship. That's what it means to keep the covenant. We'll see what it means to show covenant faithfulness as the scripture unfolds. But for now, that seems to be what God is calling his people to. Well, you may think, well, how am I going to do that? Let me give some New Testament language that we're more familiar with to the concept. When God calls his people to himself, God justifies them by his grace alone. And it's not because of anything that we do. 
But those God justifies, he also regenerates so that we're born again. And this inward reality shows forth outwardly in our expression of learn sometimes because we get so focused on what we're supposed to do or not do that we miss the larger point here. And the larger point is this. that for a second God Almighty El Shaddai the text says the one who we say is omniscient omnipotent omnipresent which means he's all powerful and he's all knowing and he's everywhere present that God wants to be your God the one who upholds all things and sustains all things and created all things he wants you to be his. We should never get over that. That should so weigh upon us and be given such weight that we don't even think about other things. Yet we choose to pursue such lesser things. And I must tell you, that the covenant gets even better. If you're worried about what it is that we're supposed to do, then you should know that after God makes this covenant, God's people are not always faithful to the covenant. They don't walk with him in it faithfulness. And God responds... Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in with you, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful remission of sin. Drink from it, all of you. Jesus established that new covenant. And in Acts chapter 2, God poured out his Holy Spirit on his people that we might have a helper to empower us to walk in his ways. Which is why the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the mediator of a new and better covenant. That's the covenant that we have with God. Oh, beloved, God is so faithful. And he wants a relationship with you. God will keep his promises. Will you walk before him in order that you may be blameless? Will you look to him and with his help live a life that is solid and faithful and all in by living all of life before him in his presence. Let's pray and ask the power of his spirit to help us to do so. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, this everlasting covenant is so good. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, we confess that we are often 
not faithful like you are. We thank you for cleansing our sins and, and providing a way for us to be in covenant with you, even as we fall.